And we're back, Stripe Show Podcast. On a Monday, I'm your host, Travis Fulton. Thank you for making us part of your day. I got a little more pep in my step today, a little more pep in my voice today. As you can see, for those watching in the video portion here, we are coming to you live from my new studio, my temporary setup as the big desk gets built over here, the new home of the Stripe Show Podcast. In the backdrop there, you can see my simulator, the About Golf Simulator, PXG Clubs, my two main sponsors. Thank you to them. We are excited. The Masters is two weeks away. It's good to be in my studio uh, bringing the Stripe Show podcast to you here on a Monday. We've got a great week lined up. Daniel Rappaport with uh, Golf Digest will be joining us here momentarily tomorrow, Ben Coley. Uh, one of my favorite handicappers in the game. He'll be joining us on Tuesday as we look at the Valero Texas Open. Jordan Spieth, of course, the defending champion there. Coming up on Wednesday, Matthew Naismith, who uh, has been playing some good golf. He'll join Froggy. He's back on Wednesday. And then a special one on Thursday, I'll be sitting down with Joel Damon, uh, who defended his title in Corrales last week. He's not playing this week. Before he heads to Augusta, he's actually heading back home, a place that I know very well, the Lewiston-Clarkston Valley. So it'll be fun to sit down uh, with Joel Damon, one of the best personalities in the game. So much good stuff happening uh, right now. Thank you for being here. Thank you for subscribing to the Stripe Show podcast. We appreciate it. Uh, If you haven't subscribed, please hit that button. Please leave us a ranking and a comment. That goes a long ways. As we continue to go four days a week, big lineup coming next week. The Masters, so much to discuss with Daniel. I've got questions about Tiger. I've got questions about Phil. Of course, we'll break down Scotty Scheffler and his reign now, his dominance to number one in the world. Incredible run of golf since beating really John Rahm at the Ryder Cup last year. I mean, think about it this way. The last spot that Steve Stricker had to fill on the Ryder Cup really came down to Scotty Scheffler and Sam Burns. At least in my mind, there were others putting Kevin Kisner in there. And I I understand from a match play standpoint, he clearly is one of the best match play players out there. But at Whistling Straits, a big ballpark, uh, that answer was clear. And it came down to Scotty Scheffler and Sam Burns. And look at these two guys. Right, Scotty Shuffler's won three times now in the last five starts. Sam Burns just won for the third time in the last 11 months. And these are the two guys that are fighting to get on the last spot of the Ryder Cup last year. USA Golf is in a great spot. So many good young players. Congratulations to Chad Ramey, who uh, won Corrales, the opposite of field of it. Chad a friend of the Stripe Show podcast. He was uh, on the podcast back in October. Trevor Warbelow, who I know um, from Arizona, did the show, the PXG called Showcase a couple years ago, got to know him. He wins on the Corn Ferry Tour, talented young player, the Arizona Wildcats. So it just, the list goes on and on. It's going to be fun to, as we go through the season, to continue to bring these up and comers to you here on the Stripe Show podcast, like a Chad Ramey like a Trevor Warbelow, who both won last week. But, of course, Scotty Scheffler, so much of the discussion. And without further ado, let's bring in my man, Daniel Rappaport. And joining me now, 
Golf Digest at Daniel underscore Rappaport. The one and only sitting there up bright and early. I'm sure plenty of storylines to uh, work through here. And, and Scotty Scheffler might be like number two or three <laughs> on the list after winning his third event on the PGA Tour in five starts. Daniel Rappaport, how you doing, buddy? Thanks for joining me. I'm well, I'm good. Uh, last time we spoke, I got COVID the next day um, and I, I have a cold right now. So something about this podcast uh, brings out the worst in my physical body, but I'm, I'm happy to be here regardless. Just whatever you do, just don't <laughs> slap me in the face. Okay, I won't slap you in the face, I promise. <laughs> you could say whatever you want about my fiance and I will not be slapping you. All right, fair enough. Well, I, I'm sorry. I appreciate you, uh, you jumping on here quickly. And, um, you know, we get to these moments in the season and there's a lot going on and you're always my first guy that I that I want to talk to, um, you know, there's the masters, which is a week away. We're, we're going to get to that. There's this new league from Saudi Arabia. Oh, by the way, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, but we've got to start with what we just saw at the match play. Um, Scotty Scheffler beating Kevin Kisner in the finals of course, Scotty lost in the finals a year ago. Then he goes on, he makes the Ryder cup team, which now lo and behold, seems to have propelled him from a confidence standpoint. And he's won three times now in the last five starts. And he's the new number one player in the world. Now, Daniel, I follow this game closely. I know you do as well. We break these players down. I'll admit, I didn't, I didn't see this coming. He was a good player at Texas. I thought his game would transfer to the pro game. But to be the number one player now, um, after, what, 75 starts? This is, this, is, this is an incredible run of golf. How do you see it? well-timed um, in the right tournaments and, and you're right, happened very quickly. You know, Rom's, Rom's grasp of number one has been looked increasingly tenuous through the last month. He just hasn't really played well, but it's been Colin or Victor. You know, that's, that's, those were our eyes were, you know, those were the two young guns who were going to be next in line to be number one in the world. And then, and then here comes Scotty out of a cannon. You know, it, it's crazy that the, he needed a captain's pick to make the team right. To make the, to make the Ryder cup team. So there was, I mean, at least some chance and he was probably one of the first captain's picks, but there was at least some chance that he wasn't going to make the team six months later, seven months later, he's number one in the world. You know, no, no one uh, ever has, has become number one in the world with only three wins on the PGA slash European tour. So we haven't seen a run like this really ever. I mean, even when Jordan got to number one, there was sort of that, like, here's the way I put it. Like, there's there's a, a good chance that a lot of people tur- who are sort of casual golf fans and maybe only tune in to the Masters, maybe the Ryder Cup, they might not even know who Scotty Scheffler is. I mean, <laughs> he's number one He's number one in the world. He, he hasn't yet become one of these household names because Super Bowl Sunday, he had zero wins. And so unless you've been paying attention really fast, you see Scotty Scheffler, number one in the world, and you're like, what? When did that happen? So I think we're going to see a lot of people who tune into the Masters and they hear this guy referred to as number one in the world. And they're like, when did this happen? Yeah. It just speaks to, to getting hot, winning three events against three elite fields. Um, and I think, you know, the, the stat about no one becoming number one after only three wins, it really just shows you how good he was before he won. I mean, he finished mm-hmm. second in a bunch of big tournaments. He's been really solid in the big events. Um, so yeah, it does, it does feel weird to see him above everybody else. Yeah. You mentioned the Ryder cup. I, I talked about in the intro before I brought you in the last spot in the Ryder cup in my mind came down to Scheffler or Burns. I was 
pushing for Burns. Some were pushing for Kisner too, because he's a good match player, but at whistling straights, I don't think that was the fit, but it came down to Scheffler and Burks. These are the two trying to fit to fill the last spot on the men's team. Burns has won three times in 11 months. Scheffler's won three times in five starts. I mean, USA golf, there's, it's incredibly deep right now. Um, and what these guys are doing, you know, Scheffler in, in college, I remember him well, cause I worked with Taylor Funk, who was the fifth man on Texas. So I watched a lot of them. And of course, Bo Hossler was kind of the guy. And then Gim was on that team and there's, there's Scheffler and all right, you know, really good college player. He comes out. I talked with this coach, Randy Smith on the podcast. And my question was, was Scheffler was, I knew he was a great driver of the ball, long, accurate. You can see that, you know, a lot of comparisons to Greg Norman with his footwork, all that. Um, I think he's an underrated short game player, really crafty around the greens. I think he's a good putter. He's become a great putter now since the switch uh, that he made. I, my question was, was he an elite iron player? Was he an elite iron game player? We know strokes and approach is important. It's turning out that he is. He's been really dominant with his irons. And what impresses me, Dan, when I watch him play, is he can send it up in the air to the stratosphere with his irons. There's not many guys that can do that. He has the frame and the swing to do that. He can hit those really high towering mid to long irons. But my goodness, did he flight the ball a few times beautifully? That bullet shot that he hits with his drivers really cool. I mean, he showed me some shot making too. Got to take this, got to take this serious. I mean, this isn't, you know, is it is it a little bit of lightning in a bottle perhaps? Right? And they're bunched up up top for sure in, in the number 1 ranking, but I got to tell you, this is this is uh this is a real player here that's solid with no weaknesses through the bag. I can't remember who it was. Um, so I'm not, I'm not trying to take credit for this take, but I, I saw it and I, I genuinely can't remember who it was. Someone said he's, he's playing like a bigger, stronger Jordan speed, which I thought was actually, you know, obviously, you know, Texas is, but it's kind of a funky swing, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't, it's not something you would, you would necessarily teach. Um, but I, I think most of that is, is just, is what they're talking about with the short game. You're right. He's, he's so good around the mm -hmm. greens. You know, I, I watched his match and his, his playoff uh, with Fitz, he almost lost to Fitz in, in the playoff, uh, just to get into the knockout rounds. And he's just so reliable on those like five to six footers, really, really good yep. with the putter. And I think that's, that's one of the reasons why is like, even when he's not driving it, hitting it perfect, you know, some of these, these guys who hit it a long way when they're, when they're not so dialed in with their irons, it can, it can look kind of ugly, but Scotty's got that, that grind here. Um, so yeah, again, is it lightning in a bottle? I think I think you're spot on. Like a, a little bit, it seems like like he he really is sort of really hot right now, and it does seem like you know when one player gets really hot, they're the the guy, and then it's it's another guy and another guy. But he's he's another one in the mix now, right? Him and mm -hmm. Burns in the last six months have sort of elevated themselves from the you know second tier to like those guys are are past you know the DJs of the world right now. Um, they're past the speeds of the world right now. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, like the speed is 28. Justin Thomas is 28. And these guys are about three years younger, you know, and it's right on schedule. You get yep. your sort of three years as the young guys and then, and then someone <laughs> younger comes up and uh, you know, it's crazy. I mean, you look at, you look at the top 10 in the world and it's, you know, it's hard to keep a track of exactly who it is, but they're, they're all in their twenties or they're, or I yeah. think one of them, I think Cantley's 30, Cantley's 30, but, Scotty's 25. Rom's Cantley's 29. Okay, yeah. there you go. So Scotty's 25. 
Yeah, Rom is 27, Collins 25, Victor's 24, 29, Cameron Smith's 28, just JT's yeah. 28. Oh, J, DJ did move up a few spots this week. But anyways, the top seven players in the world are all 29 or younger. Yep. You know, it's, it's just getting, I, I'm curious why you, you know, from the instruction side, why, why do you think these kids are, are more dominant now uh, than ever before? They're just, they're, I mean, they're ready to go. Obviously, I mean, they're playing competitive golf week in and week out against the best players at a young age. Uh, most of these kids growing up, I do think we're starting to see the speed era starting to to transpire kids that have created a lot of speed early. And then you kind of rein it in as you go. Um, you know, I think the the narrative growing up was, look, you can be long, but not accurate. Right. And a lot of that was equipment related, but now we're in an era where, okay, I create a lot of speed and I can be fairly accurate too. Um, you know, so that's a huge advantage. Um, but the just, you know, I think the teaching's better, the training's better. Uh, they play competitive so much growing up into college. They can get into pro events before they turn pro more. It's more accessible. They're watching it. We're watching an era that grew up watching Tiger and the dominance of that. And, and, and then they get out there and they're like, I'm ready to go. Like I've already been through all this and I know I'm a pro now. And I know the course is a little bit different, but I've kind of already seen it. I've kind of already benchmarked myself. I'm ready to go. I'm confident. And off they go. And then they get that jet pack of, or that little baby jet pack of confidence where like Scheffler beating the number one player in the world in ROM at the Ryder cup. Here we go. You know? And I think Corey Connors probably who finished third, and this week for him, I think will propel him to some degree as he's benchmarking himself. You know, I belong in these WGCs, you know, I belong um, with these guys and I can play with these guys and I can beat these guys and I'm a top 10 player in the world. So I think it was a big step uh, for him. So yeah, they're just so much more prepared. They come out, they're not scared off. They go in the distance era when you can hit it out there, three Oh five, three ten, and you're relatively consistent. Um, you know, that's a, that's a big deal. And, you know, as I, as I, as I sit here and I think about Scheffler, I have to think about Teddy Scott, uh, who lives right here. Who's one of the best caddies out there is Ted Scott, like the greatest businessman in the world, you know, jumping off of Bubba's back and going over to Yeah. He's probably made himself like five, 600 grand. I mean, something crazy. You know, I don't know this, but, and maybe you can shed some light on it. I, I think, he's definitely reading a lot of putts. It feels like he, it definitely, his input on greens reading is, is real and significant. I think Ted Scott's an excellent greens reader. And you know, when, when you can get that input and then the, as a player, you have to make the decision. Like when you're getting, when you're getting that right and you're as pure as you are with your putting stroke, you know, it just, you can, you can see it. I mean, it seems like Scheffler made just so many putts, perfect speed, like right in the center. I mean, it didn't catch the lip. It was right in the center with the perfect speed. Um, now, of course, he's used to that course. He's seen it. But I'll, I'll finish with this with Scheffler. You know, he wins. He, people forget after the Ryder Cup. You know, I mean, he almost won Myocoma. He almost won Houston where he finished second. Um, when he won Phoenix, to me, Phoenix was all about the driver and the putter. I mean, he was dominant with the driver, just nuking it in the desert, made a lot of putts. All right. Then he goes to Arnold Palmer. To me, that was more about his iron game. He actually lost strokes with his driver. So he gains eight with his irons and you know how API is, right? I mean, you got, you got to get it up and down too. I mean, you got to be 
grinding and getting it up and down. So it was like more about the irons and, you know, the short game. So it was completely different. And then he comes to match play, which is just a whole different mindset. And to your points, Fitzpatrick has him on his rope on the ropes. So to me, this win was more about situational golf. When I got to play my best golf, right in his mind, he played it. And that's special. Like when you can play your best golf, you're up against the ropes. I gotta, I gotta get it done right now. If I don't, I'm out. Fitzpatrick's got me. And he did that. I mean, there's just so much there through the bag and mental. He's got the physical stature, got a nice long swing, fluid, unrestricted. Yeah. He's going to be around a while, but it'll be interesting. Like, you know, number one in the world just feels like, wow, I gotta, I just need to kind of sit here and let this settle in a little bit. I'm not quite sure completely how I feel about it, but he'll be at Augusta where he's, I believe two top twenties could be a good spot for him. He can hit it high, but I got to ask you, um, you know, you may have heard that there's, there's another guy that people are interested in that uh, he may or may not play. There was a video that surfaced of tiger playing medalist and walking and hitting his driver and this things. And you know, tiger is going to be very secretive about this, but my God, Dan, if I had to think about it from what I know in my resources, it sure feels like Tiger's trying to get on the first tee next week and at Augusta. What do you, what do you think? Definitely try. Definitely try. Uh, doing everything physically possible to play, I think, is a fair way yeah. to put it. Look, you know, he knows that the clock is ticking and there are certain courses that suit him better than other ones, and he's won five times at Augusta. Um, it's 25 years since 1997, right, when he burst onto the scene and mm-hmm. showed the world what what their next icon looked like. He wants to play desperately. I think he's so eager to get back to that place where he's not thinking about rehab and he's thinking about, okay, can I flight this six iron to a right to left wind? And where do I want to leave this chip? Do I want to leave it below the hole or do I want, you know, I think he, he really wants to get back into competition mode. So yeah, I saw that video at medalist, you know, it seems like he's been telling us throughout this process that playing at home is very different from playing on the PGA tour, playing at home. He can ride around in the cart. If he wants to pick up, if it's a shitty, sorry, bad lie, he can pick up. It's a bad lie. He doesn't have to hit it. Same thing was true when he was playing with Charlie at the PNC. Competition is, is a totally different animal. It seems like what he's doing is he's simulating competition as best he can, which means full warm-up, play the golf course, go back, warm down, wake up the next day, full warm-up, play the golf course, and go through that tournament routine. Yeah. And if you can do it at medalist, okay, medalist is a big, hard golf course, but it's, it's Florida, right? It's not that, right. it's pretty flat. I wouldn't be surprised. There are some murmurs. I don't know anything personally, but, you know, I wouldn't be surprised at all, put it that way, if Tiger makes a trip to Augusta this week and then tries to play, okay, I've progressed from, I can do it at medalist. Now, can I do it at Augusta? And, uh, you know, whether he plays or not, it, it, he's going to play soon. Right. That's what yeah. this tells us. The fact that it's Monday before the tournament and he hasn't said no means he's at a place physically where he's almost ready to return. And I think barring a setback, the PGA championship looks like the open championship, which seems to be would be sort of number two on Tigers like tournaments that he has to play because flat doesn't need to hit driver that often. You know, he can kind of poke it around there and strategize his way around on a dead flat golf course that he's won on multiple times. And it's the 150th at St. Andrews that seems like an overwhelming likelihood that he plays in that tournament. So just the fact that he's, that he's this close to being back, you know, 14 months after 
uh, an accident that looked looked like life threatening and looks certainly career threatening. The guy has nine lives. Yeah, he does. It's 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 amazing to think that he's he's back. I if I had to put money on it, I would say it's he's more likely to play versus not at this point in where we are, and he hasn't said no yet. That that's that I don't know that. I'm just I'm just putting yeah, that out there. The, the one thing I would caution is like he's done this a few times where he waits until Friday before because unlike us, he's not freaking out about every oh, is he gonna yeah. play? Is he gonna play? So he just wants to give himself like every last opportunity to get ready i mean i know he said no to tournaments uh, even though it looked like no way he was going to play he'll wait until the friday before just just in case just in case something crazy happens because again there's no upside to him pulling his name from contention initially um so that's the one reason why i i still actually think it's a little under 50 percent. i think he's going i think he's going through the motions and he's and he's doing as though he's going to play because he doesn't want to you know, withdraw preemptively and then, and then discover that he's okay. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, just wild that we're having this conversation. Yeah, it is wild. Really. I mean, I, I, he's undersold it though. There's no question. He undersold it going into PNC. I was expecting him the way that he talked about his game that he, is that tiger right there? You're texting with. No, no, no. No, it's not. Okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, He's undersold it with the PNC. I mean, I, I thought he was going to go out there and hit it like 220 yards, like off the heel, off the, off the driver, like the way he was talking. And then here he is not going to pass JT a couple of times. Like, wait a minute, what? Now, granted he was in the cart. I get that, but he's definitely undersold it. Um, all right. So I I'm, I'm on the 60% he's going to play and you're on the 40%. Is that fair? Yeah. I, I just think like with tiger, he just, he doesn't, drop news unless he feels like there's something worth sharing. And for him, the fact that he's considering playing and trying to go through it just isn't worth sharing. So you're right. Yeah. He's going to be very secretive about this. He's going to remember, remember when he dropped that swing video out of nowhere and we were like, what? Right. Like yeah. no one knew that he was doing that. Uh, that's, that's what's going to happen with this. He's going to tweet probably on Friday, either I'm playing the masters or, you know, looking forward to the champions dinner and, and being yeah. on site, but I'm not going to be able to play. So, I mean, it's potentially we'll got see. the, the biggest media coverage in people that are going to be on site with Hideki as the past champion, right. With all the Japanese media and then tiger, if he comes back, I mean, this thing is going to be off the chart and we'll have to wait and see. Um, we know one person that's not playing is Phil Mickelson. Where's Phil. We haven't heard from him. Do you know? I don't, I bet you he's <laughs> skiing somewhere. I actually don't know. I mean, everything, you know, you, you hear a bunch of things about Phil and he's, you know, there's some issues in his private life, whatever that might mean. I don't know. Um, I thought Pat Perez's statement, I think it was at Phoenix. I can't quite remember. No, it was in LA. It was in LA. I remember that, uh, where he said, you know, Phil's going through a lot at home right now. Pat Perez knows Phil. Um, so read into that as you will. I don't know anything, yeah. but it seems like, it seems like, and the wording of his statement of Phil's statement, you know, the last words were like, can't remember exactly what they were, but it was something like, you know, I, I need some time away. Or I desperately need time away to become mm-hmm. the man that I want to be. That that suggests that there's something you know bigger than bigger than just the Saudi league going on here. I, I don't know what he's doing, um, but it's interesting. I think, and, and again, you know, it's, it's judging from social media is dangerous just because it's not yeah. real life. Right. Um, but it seems like the tide is slowly kind of turning the other way for Phil. 
where people are almost starting to feel bad for him a little bit, you know, I, where people are like, oh, he's not playing the Masters. Like, oh, what did, what did he really do? You know, because he just said everyone knew that he was feeling that way. Like, you know, why else would he? Everyone knows that Phil's not a dummy. Like, he knows he knows the reputation of the Saudi Arabian government. He knows um, how his flirtations with them are going to be perceived. So why would he do it? Because he feels like there's a ton of money to be made. Like, we all knew that. It was yeah. just that he said it out loud. And to see him just say the quiet part out loud and then become persona non grata in golf, I think some people are starting to be like, wait a minute. Like, have we gone a little bit too far here? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, there's no question. <laughs> Social media has gone too far. I mean, the, every every situation, you're, you're going to go too far. I, I think I think where, for me, it's never a good idea to to go to the public and social media and run your employer. And there's independent contractors. I get that, but to run the 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 league, the tour, the PGA tour, um, which has been his place for his skills for 30 years um, to run it through the greater, like he did. You know, I think that's where a lot of people get turned off the wrong way. Now, look, there's people that are employed that have a beef with the people they work with, right? Like it, or work for, I mean, that's a very common thing, but it's never a good idea to go and air that out in social media. Like that's a bad idea, folks. I don't care who you are, what your position is, how much money you make, when you take it to that extreme, it's a bad idea. And, and he went to the nth degree with it. And then, of course, now he's using the Saudi League as leverage. And I think where that money's coming from in Saudi Arabia rubs people the wrong way. So to me, those are the two things that, you know, this is not a good idea. Who is this Phil Mickelson? And I think now the question for me with Phil, and I think it's a fair one, is, all right, we know who Phil is the player inside the ropes. Loved, adored, charming, um, had a lot of the Arnold Palmer types of traits and characteristics that grew the game and we're all in debt to. And I love that about Phil. Exciting. Um, moved the needle a little bit. He wasn't Tiger, but he was the second most popular player and best player because he had the personality and the charm to go with it. But I think the question now is through all this, all right, who, who's Phil off and outside the ropes? And, not, and some of that's none of our business. Um, but who is he? How close are they? Is this, is this an act that we're seeing inside the ropes or is this, or is this really how he is or is he someone very different? And I think those are fair questions too. I, I, yeah. And I think Alan Shipnuck's book uh, is going to shed a lot of light on those questions. You know, this, that was the book obviously where the, the Saudi comments were ex, excerpted, yeah. excerpted from. Um, and so I, Alan's book is coming out in a couple months. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of attention on it. Um, because he's been diving into this for the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. uh, he knows Phil, they go, they go pretty far back. And, and I know he's been digging and, and talked to a lot of the people who are close to Phil and then finally got Phil himself. So I think it's going to be an illuminating picture of him. I think one thing that's interesting is that you mentioned sort of the dynamic with Tiger in the, back in the day in the two thousands. And, and even before that Tiger was kind of a singularly focused yep. kind of cold, um, unflinching, sort of shut off to the public guy and Phil was the nicer, softer, sweeter alternative. It's kind of flipped now. No question. Tiger, Tiger is like everyone's favorite player. He's the father. He's the one who's out there smiling. He's a sentimental favorite. And Phil has become this sort of like shadowy figure now with the Saudi stuff. It's just, it's just funny to see how the public perception of those two seems yeah. to have flipped. 
I miss Tiger. Uh, and I think everyone misses Tiger for the most part. I don't think everyone's going to miss Phil if, if the rules were reversed. It, you know, I mean, it's just, I mean, Tiger just is Tiger. I mean, he's, he is the needle and, and even is stone faced and, you know, he, he rubbed people the wrong way with some of the things that he did off the golf course. And, um, but Tiger coming back, given all that at an early age in his career, you know, people miss Tiger. It would be the biggest story of the year if he came back and played at Augusta and that, that's hands down. And it will be the biggest story of the year whenever he comes back and play, when it's the PGA. Now, when Phil comes back and play, if he does, it'll be a story, but it won't, you know, I'm, I'm not sitting here missing Phil. And I, I like Phil and appreciate what Phil did on the golf course. I do, but I, I think it's just a different feeling for me as the player coming back. And I think also given what I talked about with Phil and what he's done outside the ropes and the questions now are who, who are these guys? Are they the same inside and outside? And I think Shipnook's book will continue to, to bridge that gap. But when you talk about Phil, you know, of course the Saudi league, that's what you think of now, you know? And, and when I read a statement, I thought it felt like to me, Daniel, that he's already been paid. That's what it felt like to me. And I don't know definitely, that definitely seemed like he was apologizing to the Saudis more so than the yeah. tour. I mean, um, that's what it felt like to me. Now I think he has some stuff to work on and at home and all that. And I respect that. But if I was, if I was going to try to take a step back and I felt like I'm going to start mending things with the tour, that's where I would have started right there. But he didn't, he didn't even mention them. So why is that? I mean, yeah. Yeah. He mentioned live, didn't he? I think yeah. he did mention, live. never even mentioned um, the tour. Look, there's clearly a really, really deep beef. Um, he he was involved in starting the league. It wasn't just, yeah. you know, it wasn't just. Oh yeah, I listened to their proposal. Like he was involved in starting the league. You know, yeah. that's as far as leagues go. That's insurrection. I mean, that's that's sort of the 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 chief flaw. The the, the one thing you can't do. Um, and I think Jay Monahan's statements at the players where he said, you know, the PGA tour is focused on legacy and not leverage. That was, that was right at Phil. Mm. And, and I think Jay's interview with Mike Tirico and with us too, when we were, had him in the press room, he didn't give the impression that he wasn't suspended. I'll put it that way. We said, we said, Jay, if he was willing to play, would he like, if he wanted to play, would he be able to play? And Jay was like, well, you know, he, he withdrew on his own accord. We never got to that point. And then Mike Tirico asked him, Mike Tirico asked him, said, Hey, if he wanted to play, would he have been here? And Jay pauses for like 10 seconds. And he's like, you know, it, we never, we never got to that point. Like if he, he, he could have done a better job. If he, if he wanted to give the impression that he wasn't suspended, yeah. he could have done a better job. He could have said, yes, of course. Like, you know, we've had our differences, but he'll be welcome. He's a member of the PJ tour. This is our flagship event. Like, of course he would have been able to play, but he didn't say that. So, I mean, what do you have I'm to not, do to get suspended? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying you, he is or he isn't, but Jay, Jay Monahan either wanted to give the impression that he was suspended without saying he's suspended or did a really bad job of giving the impression that he's not suspended. Yeah, the bus has already left, you know, I mean, it, it really has. And, you know, Phil's going to get left behind and, you know, Phil's not Tiger. He knows that. And his time is limited too, as well. And, and he doesn't have the injuries that Tiger has. And we've seen Phil compete and win the PGA. Um, there's just a lot to digest there that's come to the surface so quickly with him. But to your point, you're, you're spot on how they're, 
perception, I think, publicly has reversed. And look, it's not too late for Phil to come back and I think start to mend some things. But the reality is, is he didn't do that in his statement. In fact, I thought, I thought he just continued to align himself with the Saudi League, which brings me to my last question. You know, Norman was making the media tour with a lot of podcasts and whatnot. And, you know, it, it is what it is. And, you know, I don't, I don't know how you, if, if you're getting the money from Saudi Arabia, I, I just don't know how you defend, you know, that regime and what it's done, right, with human rights. And, like, it's just, there's just no way around that. And, you know, he, he had his kind of spiel that he did on some of the podcasts talking about the release of the schedule, right. And that it's a real thing and that they're going to push out. And it seems like the number's 30, uh, that they're looking for to come over and, and play for a whole lot of money, you know, a whole lot of money. And they're going to force the hand of the tour, of course, PGA tour to, to say no to these players. You can't go play in them. In fact, as I understand it now, Daniel, it's not a league. They're not calling it a league anymore, are they? Not yet. Not a, okay. no. they're very they're very careful with with you know what they call it and yeah. It's it, it it's all we're headed to court. We're headed it's, to court, yeah. But I think that, that language is part of that. It's not a league. For sure, it's just for sure. Yeah, it's an we're opportunity. Just, we're just giving them options. We're just there. You go. Them Op- options. Yeah. <laughs> we've been yeah. we've been we've been on a, a railroad track for court for two years. Yeah. That's where this thing is headed up. Is but the schedule's gonna, out there. Starts in June. Right, um, it, it doesn't become an issue until someone commits and the tour says no. Right. And that's, that's when this is going to go to court because someone, a whole bunch of guys ostensibly are going to say, I'm in for this. Yep. I'd like to play. The PJ tour is going to say, sorry, we have an event that week. This is in the U S it's not happening. Mm. And then they're going to get sued. And that's, that's, what's going to happen. And so we'll see if the PJ tour feels good about its legal stance live golf investments say they feel good about their legal stance. Yep. This has happened once before the PJ tour won. So we'll see. We'll see. I mean, it's been, that's what we've been saying for two years, but it, we're finally inching toward actually seeing. So no players to this point have committed. Now I saw on Kevin Nas, you know, his little shirt there, he had the Saudi replace Saudi Arabia league, right. Or play Saudi Arabia logo. Golf Saudi. I think it's called. Is it golf Saudi? Yeah. Yeah, it's like they're it's like the official like company of Saudi Arabian golf. <laughs> Kevin Nodman, he's like that dude. I mean, a year ago, lecturing DJ, you know, after a putt that he he assumed that he was going to get, and Kevin didn't give it to him, and he was talking to him like a, he was a twelve year old and saying, "This is you know, hey, give me." You know, I was like, "What man? Don't lecture me, DJ." Like, get away from me. And then here we are this year. He's got the play Saudi. I mean, he's. He's scared, man. He he gets out there and, you know, I mean, at least I view it as his name's been thrown around as maybe someone that is looking to go there. There's been others, you know, look, this is not the only podcast that has shed light on this. We had Kramer Hickok on, you know, a while back and he was talking candidly about it. And then Shipnut came out with Phil's stuff. And I mean, all this stuff, look, there's going to be a player that's going to commit. I feel that. I I do. I just feel like there's going to be well, look at Maybe me, one of these older guys, 47, 48, 49, where it's like, look, I'm at the tail end of my career and yeah, I'm going to well, go, at, I'm going to go play for it. Look at Lee Westwood. I mean, Lee Westwood on Twitter has been hammering yeah. my colleague and other journalists about the Saudi stuff. He's clearly sort of like laying the foundations for justifying the move. Um, he, he said 
in Dubai, I think it was, that he'd already signed an NDA. And, and he said last year in Florida that if at his age someone offered him some preposterous sum of money to play golf, he would take it. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be multiple guys who go over. Um, well, even Kokrak came on the podcast, you know, a while back and talked about it, you know, that he said, yeah, I'm, I'm you know, I want to retire at a young age. I want to go make a lot of money. So there's been guys that have been open about it. And um, I, I just feel like, I just feel like, like you said, it's going to court and someone's going to make the leap. Now, whether 30, we'll have to wait and see, right? We're going to have to wait and see. I mean, Norman's probably going to have to tee it up. That's, what, that that's, what, Rory, that's what Rory said. Yeah. Um, well, they'll fill it out. I mean, there's a ton of guys who aren't on the PGA Tour who would take it in a second. Right. It's, a, it's right. just a function of whether they want to invite those players. All right. Valero, Texas Open this week. Jordan Spieth won it last year. Charlie Hoffman finished second. Speaking of names that have been associated, Matt Wallace finished third. Matt Wallace has kind of lost his game. Matt Wallace, I've seen him hit some wild golf shots this year. He's struggling. All right, buddy. Good stuff. Good catching up on all this. Have a great week. Have a great time at Augusta. Feel better. I'm sorry. The stripe show makes you. No, you're good. I actually you for feel, not slapping I your actually face. feel fine. I sound worse than I feel. So we're good. All right. Daniel Rappaport, Golf Digest at Daniel underscore Rappaport, Twitter. See you tomorrow. Stripe show podcast will break down Valero, Texas Open. Later, buddy.